And then am I going to hold you to the same standard of me? And maybe Mark would not like to mow his lawn on Sunday afternoon. Maybe I would. And and from Scripture, all days are the same. Live it to God. um, Use it. And, And I would interpret it, mow the lawn. Mark may interpret it, don't mow the lawn. Even worse than that is to have a fist fight about who's right about mowing the lawn. Absolutely not godly at all. That's not how it's to be lived out. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to A Word with God, and I've got Stan here as always. How are you doing, Stan? Good, John. And you? I'm doing well, thanks. So we're going to get right into it this evening. Uh, we're going through Romans chapter 14. So if you are not driving, this is a good time to open your Bibles and get into the Word with us. And at the end, we'll just go through a couple of questions. Awesome. Well, we began about four weeks ago talking about being a living sacrifice, and that means living sacrifice is Exactly that, living, moving, breathing. A sacrifice isn't a sacrifice if it doesn't cost, and and there's a cost to being a living sacrifice. We are to be holy, we are to be acceptable. I go back to John chapter 4, that we're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And in chapter 15 of Romans, he's kind of tie all this together as we looked at sacrificing, as we looked at living in peace in the body. And we looked at kind of the fussing and the fighting that takes place that, that should not be taking place. And then we looked at living in the world, submitting to authority, authority inside the church, authority outside of the church. When do we stop obeying the authorities? Because God says that all authority comes from Him, has His stamp on it. His purpose and His design is that authority would be in our life to guide us down the, the rails towards holiness and righteousness in obedience to Him. That's the intended use of authority. Does it get perverted and converted? Yeah. But that's the plan and that's the purpose. And we saw in the ending that it's the whole thing of this, we must obey God rather than man. But you need to be really careful when you play that card. You need to make sure it's biblical. You need to make sure that it's accurate. And you have to be willing to take the flack that comes from it. Well, we moved from there to living in a community of faith. And last week we talked about how gracious God has been to you. And that means we need to be gracious when we live next to each other as we do life together. You ever met people that just have a scowl on their face and they're miserable and they're mean and and sometimes they're in church? Well, it's not good advertising. Uh, not a good advertising at all. Not One, not good advertising for what God's done in your heart. And it's not good advertising for what the church is supposed to be. So we need to look at why is that coming out of me? 
And uh, we saw that we need to be gracious. God's been gracious to you. Be gracious to others. Hold convictions with open fingers. Convictions are how I live out truth. What does that mean to me? And we talked about, am I going to mow the lawn Sunday? Am I not going to mow the lawn Sunday? Will I go grocery shopping Sunday? Will I not go grocery shopping Sunday? My day of rest, whatever I determine that to be, how am I going to live it out? And then am I going to hold you to the same standard of me? And maybe Mark would not like to mow his lawn on Sunday afternoon. Maybe I would. And, and from Scripture, all days are the same. Live it to God. Um, use it. And, and I would interpret it, mow the lawn. Mark may interpret it, don't mow the lawn. Even worse than that is to have a fist fight about who's right about mowing the lawn. Absolutely not godly at all. That's not how it's to be lived out. And so, um, be gracious, hold your convictions with open fingers, have a gentle and kind heart with those who practice differently than you do. We're going to baptize infants, we're not going to baptize infants, we're going to dedicate infants and baptize them, or dedicate them, not baptize them, how... Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing, supposed to be baptizing, but how do we carry that out? And I may be convinced of one way, back to the fist fight thing, though, and I've seen verbal fist fights. What did he say? Don't tear down the kingdom, build up the kingdom. And should that be something I tear the kingdom down for? Or everyone be convinced in his own mind? Another scripture. How am I going to live that out? Fourthly, keep the view before you of building up, not tearing down. Fifthly, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you the difference between truth that needs to be fought for and truth expressed where to leave it aside. Those are hard things. That's maturity. And that takes a long time and a lot of thought and studying of the Word and we need to hold those things lightly and carefully. Well, today, deny yourself. That's the end game. Am I willing to deny myself? I don't like denying myself. I really don't. I've got this rule in the house that, that we're not to have ice cream. Because if ice cream is in the house, if it's in the freezer, I have this moral obligation to eat the ice cream. I, I cannot deny myself the ice cream. Now, if you put all kinds of like cookie dough garbage in it, that, that stops it right there. But pure, unadulterated, whatever the flavor is, cinnamon, cinnamon ice cream at marble slab, no cut-ins. They, they, what do you want for a cut-in? That's just ungodly. Deny yourself. There's some things we're going to talk about denying yourself today. First thing we're going to learn is uh, carry every brother and sister. And that's in verses 1 to 4. Carry. Now, we're not going to throw each other over our shoulder. It's a different kind of carry. Now, moving forward. We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. My dad said you ought to do something. Ivan, I don't know if your dad was like my dad, but if an ought to was like, it was not a, he was not asking for a poll on whether or not we should. If, if he said you ought to do that, it was just basically do it. And that's where Paul is here. He says, it's something you ought to do. You ought to, those who are strong ought to bear, means to pick up with your hand for yourself. The idea of making it personal. 
It's, it's something that you need to do personally is to bear other people's burdens. Not sit back and debate about it, think about it, rationalize over it, but each and every one of us ought to bear, ought to pick up other people's burdens in our life, who are around us in our life. And here's some burdens that they may have, errors that have come from weakness of thinking, persons who don't have maybe a full picture of the scripture yet, or or they haven't thought it all through, or they haven't had the information given to them yet, or they need to have some grace extended to them as they work through their faith. Working through your faith takes time. Building convictions, we learned last week, is a process, and it takes time. And so during this building up and maturing, we have this thing called bearing each other's burden. Those who are weaker, not as developed in their faith, putting you know, things together for the first time. It's like the kid in school who always had their hand. It looks like it's like their hand was going to fly off. It's like they always had the answer. I was never the person flailing my arm around with the answer because I was always working. Well, that could mean this, and it could mean that, and it could be... I'm not good at multiple guess questions because I worked them through too much. You ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are developing and growing in their faith. You may have the answers. They may not. You may have it worked out. They may not. You may have a good understanding. They may not. To those without strength, that's our brothers and sisters who who are kind of powerless. And I was thinking about powerlessness in our Christian life and some faces that that may have. they, They just may be unable to get it done. There are some things that may come very easily to you, some concepts that may come very easily to you, and another person may work them through all their life trying to, to grasp what those concepts, some of those concepts may be grace, some of it you know, may be holiness, some of it, may, and you can kind of fill in the blank, and it takes time to work, what do those things mean, and how do I live them out? In fact, for some people, it may be impossible to put together. And what you are able to do, that person may not be able to do it. We were just talking in the back about those who, I mean, I can't read a note to save my soul on a piano. And there's people who are very gifted at reading music. And I think I could stare at that page till the cows come home and I still wouldn't know what to do. It's just not within. I've tried. I've tried to learn it. I can get one note at a time, but you start putting five or six lines of notes across there, and this just goes like. There's some people that may just not be able to put some things together. And some have been disabled. Use that word judiciously. Some may have been disabled along in their life and their faith experience. And you know, well, what do you mean by that? I put down here se- severe abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse. There is such a thing as spiritual abuse. It causes a numbness of the heart, and it takes time for that numbness to thaw out. Sometimes it never completely thaws out. That's a matter of prayer and fasting and the Holy Spirit coming into a life. And we've got to be careful even there that our conviction of how that works out 
some in their experience may go, I had prayed, I came to God, and I was delivered. The next person may come and pray the same heart, that may, and they are not immediately delivered. Is that the right way? Is this the right way? Or does God work with individual men and women as God sees fit and as God knows how is best for them to have it worked out? Well, being brought up in an overbearing home. Some of us were brought up in homes we, didn't, we were not taught to think. We were just taught to do. Don't think about it. I didn't, I didn't, you're not my son to give me, me your opinion. You're my son to do what I say. Some of us grew up, especially us old folks, it was kind of the way it was. It's hard is then as you move out and into our spiritual context to think and to look at the Word and discern for yourself and to work. Some of us that doesn't come easily to. Another area is exposure to negative, critical, abusive thinking wrapped in the skies, disguise of Christianity. There are some mean, miserable people out there that call themselves followers of Christ and theirs is a mean gospel a God who is vengeful, a God who is... is and, and there's some stuff that comes from that. It takes time to get over and to find freedom. And another area is exposure to cults and faults or, and man-made religious contexts and constructs. And a person that's brought up in, in an off-based religious background, can take, it can take a long time to get over that and to figure those things out. Back to verse 1. And not just to please yourself. So it's there that you're to bear, you carry. Uh, you ought to be, uh, who are strong, ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength and not to please yourself. And we talked about the ham sandwich thing where Mark is a vegetable eater and he has a cucumber sandwich and I have a ham sandwich and I don't eat my ham sandwich and you know, I, I bear another person's burden. I don't think of my own thing. I go over to Mark and I say, why do you make this ungodly cucumber sandwich for me? I, no, I just eat it. I bear it. And he's a meat eater. I'm just teasing him. But I mean, I bear it for him. I don't complain about it. I don't say, let me sit you down here and explain Peter and the sheet and how everything is clean and let's cut the ham out here. I don't do that. That's not the purpose and not just please ourselves. Don't get focused on your own thing. Don't get focused on your agenda so that you throw the weaker brother or sister under the bus. You bear their burdens. You carry their, their burdens. Verse 2, each of us, every person, you're all part of this, this bearing each other's burdens. You're, you're all a part of it. Is to please, is to accommodate, is to have a desire and opinions and interests that, that fall in line with his neighbor. It's to please his neighbor in two things. For his good, the benefit of your neighbor, to his edification, to promote his growth. And, and love is not about you. Love is, is not your thing. Love is putting the other person's relationship with Jesus out front. You ever meet people where every time you feel like you're getting a lecture of why you don't believe right or why you don't live right? Or it's just like you're constantly getting lectured. That's not the heart that Paul's talking about here. And then here's some, here's some wrong thinking that I say is, uh, I think it's just really 
not seeing it clearly. Some people think, well, I'm to be a spiritual doormat there. I'm to carry everybody. I mean, I'm to take all the flack from everybody. And what does it say? You who are strong. You who have your convictions down. You who have been trained. You who you're in a good place in your relationship with God. You who are strong bear the burdens of the weak. He's not talking about other weaker brothers to weaker brothers, although you could make some argument for that to a degree. But those who are strong, those who have been matured, those of you who, who are mature in Jesus Christ, you are to take that responsibility and to move forward in that. Well, verse 3, 4, because even Christ... And he's going to be set up here. Jesus is going to be set up as our example. And he did not please himself. He didn't accommodate himself, and but he accommodated others. And and like, do we all agree that Jesus agree that Jesus was not self-centered? I mean, just look how he lived with other people. As Nicodemus, and here's this guy coming at night and and kind of sneaking in and like doesn't really want. He wants to get under the radar and. And, I mean, he was maybe one of those guys that were standing with the Pharisees when they were, you know, coming at Jesus, and Jesus accommodates him, Thomas. I mean, that poor guy, he just didn't know what was going on anywhere. I mean, he didn't know what to believe. Jesus accommodates I mean, Jesus looked at like, like, okay, you wanted nail prints, and you wanted, like, a, 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 the wound in the... Here it is, Tom. He accommodated Came to support him in his weakness. I don't think Jesus was snarky about that. I don't think Jesus was kind of like putting it in his face, like, like, okay, you want to see the nail prints? Here, here they are. What do you think now? That's, I don't think that was the attitude or the tone. Do you? I mean, that doesn't sound like Jesus. But this gentleness and loving and coming forward. But as it is written, he's going to go into Psalm 69 here. And it's primarily a psalm about David, but it has messianic overtones. How do I know if something's messianic? How do I know if a psalm is talking about the person and Jesus down the road? Well, it's how it's quoted in the New Testament. I go to see how is it used in the New Testament, and I get to see whether or not they're applying it to Jesus or, or not. And so this is definitely a messianic psalm. And it says, uh, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. They pressed in on my life. People who were pushing against God, we're pushing against David. So he begins to set this up, and he's got three examples here, three things he wants us to think about. The first starts with David. And he says, Jesus uh, bore other people's burdens, just like David did. And here's what happened with David. David's out there, and he um, goes to play harp. He's a traveling musician for Saul, because Saul's got this, like, he's got a real hate on. Saul's got a bad attitude, bitter, mean, miserable. And sometimes he would just kind of like trash his apartment. And so David's there, and David's playing. And whenever David would play, Saul would be calmed down, would feel better. So Saul brings him into the household. A couple of times when David's playing, Saul gets upset, throws a spear at him one time. He's just like really into this. And, um, and eventually, the people begin to see David more kingly than Saul is. Saul gets jealous. 
Saul goes, like, this is, I don't like this. And, and one idea he has is to marry Saul off to his daughter. And he knows that she is kind of a basket case. And so he's going to entangle David with her. And maybe he'll be able to snare David that way. And eventually it moves to the point where David has got to run away. He leaves Michael, his wife, and there's a group of guys that travel with him who are kind of fellow criminals in the kingdom. And, and there's this period of time where David is hunted like a jackrabbit. And Saul's pursuing him. And David bears the burden of Saul. David doesn't retaliate, doesn't have his own way. In fact, Scripture shows us how David defers to Saul spiritually weaker, morally weaker, weaker in the government. People are being drawn to David, not Saul. Saul is the weak one. David is the strong one. And yet David lives his life in a way that bears Saul up. In fact, he, had a, he, was, he was like from me to you away from Saul with a sword in his hand. Saul's facing the other direction. And David could have ended it right there. And he doesn't. He bears up Saul now, the people thought that was just so weird. And his family was upset with David for how he was relating to Saul. The government officials were upset with how... In fact, it says even, get this, Carrie, even the drunks in the street were singing songs about David and how foolish he was. They did not appreciate how David was reacting to Saul. It says Jesus was just like that. As David did that to Saul, so Jesus is, and Jesus is surrounded by people who are really upset with him. The religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the lawyers, the elders, all these people are coming against him. And yet we see Jesus uplifting those who are weak. Just think of the woman at the well. Think of the woman caught in adultery. These are some real losers. Matthew, the tax collector. He even brings him into the, into the circle of disciples. And this guy called Nicodemus, who's like a turncoat, cheating, lying, thieving government official. And he has dinner with these people, and he brings them into his life. I mean, I mean it's just amazing. I mean, if you got an invitation mark from a guy who was high up, kind of mafia. Hey, hey, Mark, I'm having a party this weekend. Why don't you come over and just hang out? I got a guy I'd like you to meet. Jesus kind of went to that party. That didn't go over with people. That didn't go over with the religious leaders. They wanted to kill him. His own family, his mother, Justin, his mom goes, boys, go get Jesus. Bring him home. He's acting totally crazy. Like, go bring him back because he's going to get us all in trouble. That's his mother. That's the one who saw the angel, the shepherds, the whole deal. Even she was a bit embarrassed by how Jesus was accommodating the weak in that society and in that time period. And then there's you. Where do you fit into all that? How are you going to accommodate the weak in your life 
the brother and sister who don't see things the way you do, the brother and sister who have a short fuse because God's not finished working on them yet, the brother and sister who take offense easily because they come from a very hurt background. What are you going to do? Jesus said, don't expect to be different than your master. Don't expect to live life differently than I have lived life. In this world, you'll have trouble. You will have conflict. But take heart. We translate it, I have overcome. Actually, it's I am overcoming the world. Jesus wants to overcome the world through you. He wants to minister to the weak through you. He wants to reach out into people's lives through you. So Stan, a question that comes up from this service is in the message that you had here was the idea of staying in peace, and that was really important. But there's also st- there's a time where we have to have conviction. When what are really those? What's the main point that we have to look at when we should have conviction and not be in peace with someone because of it? Yeah, remember before we've talked about this kind of circle of things, the things that you take a bullet for, the things mm-hmm. you die for, then the things good men and women each you know we just see it differently, understand scripture differently, and then preferences. So you got to make sure it's in that center, the things that are. Biblically clear, stated over ago, over again in Scripture. You know, is Jesus born of a virgin? Yes, right. that's the thing. You know, you don't back up from those lines. You you take it right to the end, and you say, "No, I I will stand on this. This is biblically clear. I am not going to budge." So those are sometimes people kind of call them almost like salvation issues, right? Yeah. So things like. Should we have an altar at the front of the church, or should we have, you know, something going on every single week? It, that might not be a salvation issue that we should, like you said, take a bullet for. Personal preferences, uh, and and you don't do that. Good. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us this evening. And as always, we're going to continue going through this next week. We're almost done Romans in total right now. We're uh, we're there's two more chapters. Yeah, so we're almost there. So we invite you to join us next week while we continue to go through the second part of this message. And as always, remember, don't end your day without a word with God. of new life. Your word, oh God, your word to me, making me 